Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you about another great podcast, The Mina Kim Show featuring Lenny. On our most recent episode, she and Dominique Foxworth provide their NFL draft winners and ask how good the Texans are and if the Falcons are going to be 500. <laughs> That's the Mina Kim Show featuring Liddy. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the right time. My name is Bomani Joe. Thanks for listening wherever you get this podcast. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. It is Foxworth Friday. Dominique Foxworth, what's going on? What's up, man? The the Falcons have a surprisingly good roster. I was shocked. That's all. Yeah, I did do that reading laugh. They have a good roster. They do not have a quarterback as far as I can tell. <laughs> that's, like That's, that's fair. That, that seems to be it. We got a lot to talk about. We'll get to a little of the stuff from the draft. First time I talked to Dominique, you know, since the whole draft went down. Uh, we got some NBA playoff stuff to talk about. The Falcons did take Bijan, and I told—I think we talked about this. I was like, I forgot about Arthur Smith. Yeah. There's no way he'll be able to pass up on this. <laughs> yeah. All right. So are you going to be conflicted at all? Because I feel no. like you have been uh, one of the few people who's been a Bijan first round. He's that special type of guy. Yes. So I would think that you would want him to succeed. But I guess yeah. you can want him to succeed in the Falcons to still Falcon. Uh, see, I don't root for the Falcons to Falcon because I don't have to. <laughs> it's going to happen, right? Like, like yeah. I don't, I don't have to nudge them. They it happened when they were up twenty-eight to three in the Super Bowl. Like, they don't need my vibes in yeah. order to make anything happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just the they a sad sack outfit. You know what I'm saying? But we I'm a Falcon. I was a Falcon. I, sometimes I Falcon. forget I was there for. Oh no! Yes, you were an Atlanta yeah, Falcon. I, I was an Atlanta Falcon for one season, probably my best season on the field. Got got that money. That's what I was about to say. All you did was change the economic trajectory of you and your family. That's it. Took a couple <laughs> of years off my life in the process, but it was worth it. Shout out ATL. Love the Falcons. <laughs> Let's go. Rise up, buddy. Rise up. Bijan about to get that rookie of the year. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fantasy, fantasy draft. If I play one this year, like that's uh, that's where we're going. Like, I can just tell you this right now. I'll give you anything. I mean, I just see what's gonna happen. They ain't like they're gonna throw. Yeah. I mean, they got Bijan. I mean, they got London, who Drake London's a good uh second year receiver. They got Pitts, who's an incredible uh athletic tight end. They got Cordero Patterson who does everything, yeah. and then they got my man Desmond Ritter taking snaps. I was about to say, can uh, is he a Desmond? I've actually never seen a picture of him. Uh, yeah. Okay, he's a Desmond. I did. I figured, but I wasn't so sure. <laughs> um, I just you know it could, that, that maybe could go either way. Uh, you never know. But can Bijan throw? Like if Bijan can throw, <laughs> I figure I feel like we done solved all the problems. Uh, they had a good running back. Well, they still have a good running back. A rookie from last year out of BRU, um, Algier, who was a really good running. Back. He broke a thousand yards. So maybe uh. They brought Bijan in to get under center. They're going to wildcat the shit out that thing. Is he like a running back or like a BYU? No, nah, he's a running back. Okay. Yeah. yeah they, you know, they I love that. the code, man. I, I appreciate the code. <laughs> <laughs> Every now and then it's different ways. Yo, interesting. I was having a conversation with my agent, whom you know. Yep. And was talking about um, Isaiah Hartenstein. Mm-hmm. And... It does. My agent was like, "Hey, I don't think he's Jewish because I thought he was Jewish because Stein, mm -hmm. and apparently he's just German. He's not Jewish." And I feel like those people at Madison Square Garden are going to be doubly disappointed when they find out that not only is he not white, but he is also <laughs> not down with the tribe. It's not going to be that bated breath every time he puts up a bucket because you hear it every time you watch, man. But his daddy, I saw a picture of him because I was wondering about him. Is it an Isaiah or a Hartenstein? You know what I'm saying? And the answer is both. Oh. Just in a, you know, yeah. interesting way it goes down. But yeah, I don't, I feel like I don't want to tell Knicks fans because it'll ruin the whole thing. Well, I mean, you can't be both, which is when we just went through the Desmond and the BYU. You Desmond and you're a running back. You can't yeah. be both in my book, but hey, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as the Hartenstein thing, I don't know. Uh, I guess maybe like Middle Eastern or something. Like, I don't know that there was another nationality or country of origin that could have been rougher to say than germany yeah. when you're talking about the people was was adopting him and then they found out fair. oh no he's not hartenstein he's german fair fair <laughs> but yeah i saw his dad that his dad black there's another dude i like i feel bad about saying it it's another dude it's a couple of them in fact they black we just yeah. don't act like it like we just they they whole steez is completely different like in yeah. ways that people don't think about it 
in that way, but I saw a picture of their uncle, and he looked like he could be Ken to number 35 for the Lakers. <laughs> like, and, and don't nobody ever talk about it. It's all right there directly in front of you. They don't never hop up during February. Let her, let them live. Let them live their babe <laughs> truth, man. Don't be out here. That's, <laughs> see, that's the thing. <laughs> but, like, I don't think they do it at all purpose. It just doesn't ever come up. Yeah, but they ain't about to rock the boat. No, 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 they're not. They're not. They're not. You are uh, absolutely correct. But uh, to put the football and basketball together, I've been seeing Aaron Rodgers at these games in Madison Square Garden. He was there on Tuesday night. Um, I forget which one of the Jets he was posted up with, but he's there. And boy, it's a big difference between Madison Square Garden and the five serve form. Ain't it, buddy? Ain't going to be nobody on the Jumbo Tron having chugging contests at the Garden, dog. <laughs> He has to be so happy. And I've made this joke a while ago before last season when they were like, he's not coming for the offseason program. And I was like, you know where he would be at the offseason program? If y'all was in L.A. or New York, <laughs> he would come to the offseason program. Like this man been among the best quarterbacks ever to play in football, amongst the most famous people in the world or amongst the most famous people in this country. A handsome, young, white man. And y'all got that man stowed away in nowhere Green Bay. I'd be damned if I was him. If I would spend any time, and no disrespect to Green Bay, but y'all know y'all Green Bay. Like, if, if you was Aaron Rodgers and you had a life like Aaron Rodgers, would you spend your offseason in Green Bay? Or would you be in L.A. hollering at these celebrities and socialites? And now here in New York, and yeah, I do the offseason. I'll come in the morning and work out with you guys. As long as I ain't got to be here at night, we good. Well, I wonder about him because, like, I imagine that Green Bay is a different sort of fishbowl, right? And I don't feel like it's one of the small town situations where they get numb to you so they leave you alone. You know, like like I could easily see coming to America, this is the greatest moment of my life. You know, like I could totally see somebody doing that to Aaron Rodgers at the Bucks game. That ain't going to happen at the Knicks game. And on one level, I imagine that is certainly refreshing. But I also imagine on another level, depending on how you wired, you might be like, Hey guys, don't you know um, Aaron Rodgers, future MVP? Don't you care? Don't yeah, you care? I mean, I I guess, but I, if you have to choose between the two, it it appears that this man oh, yeah. likes psychedelics and likes other interesting things. Yeah, he had to fly them things in. That man was was out here trafficking. <laughs> no, they ain't growing that in Green Bay. <laughs> uh, I mean, the difference here between Green Bay is just easy to find somebody to buy from. Yeah. Um, there, there's definitely a trafficking element uh, taking place on that. But now New York, I think New York will probably be more his speed until he come out here and have a bad game or two. Yeah. And yeah, come out here and tell tell these people to relax. relax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me know. Uh, let me let me let me know how that one breaks down. That's the thing about it is like I, I mean, obviously I can't compare my career to Aaron Rodgers, but the goodwill that you build up in a place. That don't carry over. No, they not. They not. They are not here for your foolishness. You can go ahead. They still love him in Green Bay. They might be annoyed with him, but they just stuck. They just stuck by him. They're gonna be happy if he show up in in the Green Bay Mall. They're gonna be happy. Yeah, New York. You don't have. You ain't won them nothing. You ain't been the best in that jersey. So, uh, go ahead and stink for a little bit. They, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead and start this thing off rough. Throw a couple interceptions. Well, they're gonna be on your ass, and they're gonna let you know it in the damn street. Yeah, well, all not just let you stink. Outside of left tackle, they got everything else. This is a no excuses scenario here. They got everything else. The same thing is true for Lamar Jackson. Yep. Except Lamar Jackson got some goodwill with them Ravens fans. I think he could he might be able to coast for a little bit. He don't got all the goodwill. Nope. Uh, there's some goodwill hurdles. <laughs> he is not going to be able to clear, but he got some goodwill with the Ravens fans. And that roster is loaded. They got a new coach who said all the right things, talking about spacing people out, challenging them to blitz Lamar. That's going to be nice. But yeah, New York, the Jets right now, ain't no reason. Ain't no reason that they are not competing in the Super Bowl at the end of the year. That is the expectation and it should be. Yo, so you mentioned something about the Ravens, and I think you're talking about Todd Munkin, the new offensive coordinator. This is my one question about him, though. And I think you feel a little bit okay about, generally speaking, a guy that's had to run college offenses because there's going to be kind of a, you, you would expect at this point, he's done a few things. 
But when he was the offensive coordinator in Tampa Bay, they threw the ball a lot. Like, that was basically all they did was throw the ball. That's what makes me wonder just how he's going to do this with Lamar. Like, I think he's, I mean, it's hard to say you were a good coordinator because you did what you did at Georgia, right? Like, you're playing the game on rookie. Um, But I'll be very curious to see schematically what he does with Lamar because you don't have to run Lamar as much as Greg Roman did. You don't have to play in that same style. But I don't recall seeing that much of Ty Munkin's work that implied that he's the guy that I would pick to coach Lamar Jackson. That's fair. I don't know. I mean, coaches get better. They evolve. That's something we don't often give them a a lot of credit for. But I will say this, and there's a difference between saying the right thing and saying the smart thing. All coaches say the right things. And some of the things that Todd was saying seem like the smart things. That don't mean it's going to happen. And then you see the way that they're building the roster right now. I assume he has some influence on this. The type of players that they're putting around Lamar are the type of players that I want to see. Not all these damn big tight ends and fullbacks and not doing this 19-12 offense that y'all have and then trying on third down, like, oh, let's spread them out. We don't have no receivers, though, but we're going to spread them out. Like, the, the, the way that teams had success against Lamar that was consistent was blitzing him, like all-out aggressive blitzing. You know what you what you need when they're doing that? It's people on the edge that's going to make them pay. I'm sorry, Mark Andrews, great tight end, but ain't nobody scared of paying with that. Like, go ahead and put – now spread them out, and you see Lamar was the best quarterback in empty uh, his MVP season. So he gonna, they're going to do some stuff like that, and then people are going to look at that Dolphins tape and be like, yeah, this is how we beat him. We max blitz him. Okay, leave Odell with no help leave zay flowers out there with no help leave rashad bateman out there with no help uh isaiah likely big tight end with no help like they they gonna make some people pay they gonna make people make choices and so the choice is we're gonna play zone which will be easy to overload and attack or we're gonna play man and blitz and then and forget that even if you don't throw it to him let him break one tackle go into the crib like it's it sounds really simple to me the way, like, I feel like I could be the offensive coordinator and we're not going to do nothing too complicated. We're going to have five plays, five <laughs> of them, because we're going to have an advantage somewhere. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. Spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. Hey, speaking of keeping it simple, have you talked to your man, Roland? Champ, have you talked to him? Uh, not in a while. Have they offered him a contract yet? The, oh, at Georgia? Oh, the Eagles. (laughs) The Eagles. I just, I mean, I just figure, um, like, I know somebody who know Garrison Hurst. I feel like I need to see (laughs) if anybody hollered at him. David Pollock has a bitten war broken out. Don't leave one man out. Don't leave him out. No, 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 no. They not calling him. They not calling him. He a locker room distraction. Uh, <laughs> he a divisive figure. They not. They not. They not bringing him in. If they wouldn't bring in Colin Kaepernick, you can't bring this dude in. He'll tell your team asunder. Um, but if you hadn't been paying attention to the draft, the Eagles in the last couple of years have just been like, give us every Georgia Bulldog we can find, even to the point where because. I was secretly hoping just to see what it would look like that Bijan would fall to 10 mm-hmm. so they could get him. And the Eagles were like, no, how about he went at eight? We'll trade up to nine and get maybe the best player in the draft at Jalen Carter. And then they took Nolan Smith. And then they took Keely Ringo later. I feel like they took another one of them. And they made a trade and they brought in DeAndre Swift. 
who you may be surprised to find out went to the University of Georgia. They they just decided we're going to get every Georgia player that we possibly can. And it's not the worst idea I ever heard. They are one of the teams that I think blend the old school thinking with the new schools thinking as well as anybody. Them and the Ravens, I think, fall in that category because they're one of the most analytically inclined front offices in football. And they got Ivy League people all throughout that side of the building and statisticians and all that stuff. And they use that to put themselves in positions to let football people make football decisions. And football people know you go somewhere and get players that are proven in big situations, big pressure situations, consistent winners come from a place where the culture is already established. That's another huge hurdle. And everyone talks about culture, but nobody understands culture. But you know what you don't have to implement? If you have a bunch of Georgia Bulldogs on that defense, you don't got to implement a culture of running to the ball. You don't got to implement a culture of playing hard, accountability. These are things they have proven are second nature to them. You're going to have to untrain them of that stuff. I've been in a bunch of locker rooms and it, it carries over to the field. The things that are expected of you carry over to the field and all that stuff. And then I say that like you aren't also getting ballers. Yes. Jalen Carter, the best player in the draft. I don't care what anybody say. Now, maybe there are other things that may cause it not to work out. Another thing about D-tackle is it's a no bust position. If you're a big, strong D-tackle and you pushing people around in college, you're not going to forget how to do it when you get to the league. But that's a no bust scenario. <laughs> now, maybe there's something psychological that's happened as a result of the issues that he's had or whatever. There's there's a, a chance that something else could cause him to not have success. But it ain't going to be because he's not good or he don't understand the system. The system <laughs> is always the same for D linemen. There's not a special D lineman playbook. Beat that mother across from me. <laughs> yeah, you never Bad. ever hear about the defensive lineman being like, yo, just getting up to speed. Like, one of my, my, my one of my best friends, he talked about this. He was an All-State uh, football player in high school, and he said Matt, he learned what all these defensive calls meant because the defensive calls all meant the same thing to him on the defensive line. <laughs> that is hilarious and true. I, you can ask a D lineman everything you want about the coverages. They ain't never looked at them. They don't know nothing. The only time they know what a word means is when they have to switch gaps because a blitz is coming to the gap that they yep. were in. Occasionally, they have to do a zone drop or something like that, but that's mostly outside backers. But yeah, yo, beat the guy in front of you. Yo, D-Lyman don't be getting head coaching jobs. They'll be getting defensive coordinator jobs. Like D-Lyman <laughs> coaches, they don't, they don't get to do that. And I think Sapp explained this to me once. He was like, yeah, now bad is the positions that are farthest away from the ball because they see everything, yeah. right? Like the secondary coach is more likely by far to get that gig than that defensive line coach. Absolutely. And those, and it's for it's for a reason. I think there are different values. It's not to to uh, denigrate anybody's intelligence or acumen. But what it takes to be successful at D-line is different than what it takes to be a great safety. Yeah. No. <laughs> the, uh, the slider on aggression to um, <laughs> calculation is much farther yeah. on the aggression side for those guys. I do miss the low calculation era of NFL safety. Like oh, it's a, yeah. was they, guys, that's I mean, all them dudes is hurting right now, boy. Yeah. They all somewhere, they all somewhere oh, like, yo, man. they got dimmer switches. No, no, no odd offs. You know what I'm saying? No more yeah. light than absolutely necessary in this room. Yeah. Oh man, that's they paying the price. They made a lot of people pay the price, and they are absolutely paying the price now. But them boys. <laughs> I don't know. I, I've I've heard a lot of people talk about football and all the things and how unsafe it is. And like, I understand and agree and appreciate that. But there is something to be said for having a place to go where you can go be a stupid man, <laughs> especially when you're a little boy, because there aren't very many places where you can go be stupid. Like I think back to myself playing football and I'm not going to make up some false path that I could have gone on that would have been dangerous or whatever. That's absurd. I'm not saying that's the case. But I am saying that I wasn't looking for places to assert my masculinity. I had it. <laughs> on, on Saturdays, I had it. And I was not out here trying to prove to nobody how tough I was because I played football. I ain't had to convince you. Yo, the, the irony of it all is it's a good place to let these boys go be stupid. And then you got all these coaches trying to tell them that they got to be smart. And that's not why anybody is here. No, that's not why the fans are here. That's not why the players are here. Nah, but I was talking about that, though. The Eagles took all them dudes from Georgia. I have a, a theory 
and it ties into the HBCU discussion about players being drafted, which I really thought was just a nonsensical social media talking point that nobody really wanted to, like, how do we get here is the question. It is not just there should be more players from HBCUs drafted. It's why were they not drafted? Question one, how many of these dudes are good enough? And people are like, oh, I can name. And they name like five people. I'm like, okay. So five people in the like fifth round or lower range of the draft, anybody after the fifth round, maybe you get drafted, maybe you don't, right? Like, like the margins are really, really thin amongst those guys, right? Like that's the median of the NFL, really. You know, when you get down to that level of player. But, Another observation that people made about that that I thought was interesting. Apparently, there were only 10 or 11 guys drafted from FCS schools at all, right? Now, also keep in mind the HBCUs are, by and large, much smaller than their FCS competitors. Forget about FBS competitors, than their FCS competitors. Only 10 players from that level went down, and I think a couple things are happening. One, you got more... FBS schools now it's like 130 something like that FBS schools so some of those guys at those lower fringes used to be FCS mm-hmm. schools they're yeah. just not gonna fall on the category but the other thing and I thought about this with relationship to Georgia overwhelmingly the last about five years it's been in terms of talent Georgia Alabama and Ohio State and then a drop to everybody else your Clemson's your Michigan's whatever other school it is you think is really good Oklahoma. even in LSU right? Oklahoma, Texas, like all of them, all the the really, 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 really good players, the upper echelon dudes are going to the top far more than they used to. You got far fewer guys willing to go to like the neighborhood school or whatever, because they just want to go there. Or the guys who may be like fringe NFL prospects who decide to go somewhere because they'll get more playing time. Nah, they want to go to Alabama. They want to go to Georgia because they know if I, they, you know, quote unquote, no, right? Mm-hmm. They know if they go there, they're going to wind up making it to the league. And so I feel like we're at a place now where you're going to have these schools. Like part of why I don't think they're looking at HBCUs like they used to is HBCUs don't produce players like they yeah. used to. But they're looking at these big schools in a way that's different than they used to. Because if you look in, if you got any thought of pro now, they all go into the same places. The farm yeah. system now. Um, and these are the those big schools are the minor leagues. And I think it's the kids are making uh the players and their families are making what seem to be pretty rational decisions and there was a time when it was like man and like i chose maryland over a bunch maryland was five and six or worse when i the year i signed there i chose them because they fired their coach and i thought that maryland was just bad enough that i could start as a freshman and in my view it was like all right they're not so bad that we're going to be awful but they're just bad enough that I can start as a freshman and I can be a star at Maryland. That's the way I thought about it because like, all right, then I'm I'm a star here. Then I'll get to the league. Now you look at the draft and you see guys from Alabama and these big schools last several years of the draft, you see guys multiple in the first damn round and day two, multiple guys who name you, who you may have watched Alabama all year. And you're like, Oh yeah, that guy. They recognize now that the the coaching that they receive at Alabama and the connections, if Nick Saban tell them that you all right, you're going to get an offer, you might get drafted. Those things seem to have carry more weight than, especially if you're looking at the FCS schools, dominating in that level, dominating the black school level. Like you have to literally dominate for anybody even to look over there, but it doesn't have the same value because you're proven you're proven against nfl level talent when you're at these big schools and if these dudes because of the way the rules are now if you go down to Alcorn and you dominate as a freshman you are getting on your computer Mm -hmm. putting your name in that portal yep and you hightailing it to somewhere else like it's a whole different game now when everybody's trying to go to the league not like it would be nice to go to the league we have five-figure numbers of people who really believe, really, and this is the worst thing that ever happened. They all really believe that all they got to do is get to this right place and I'm going to make it to the league. And I got bad news for them. If you're going to go to the league, you're going to go to the league from wherever the hell you at. They will find you if you're supposed to go to the league. Like, I mean, granted, this is an extreme example, but Khalil Mack, did you ever watch any of that Ohio State game when he was at Buffalo? Mm-mm. So it's like the first game of the year, and it's classically Ohio State 
plays against Buffalo, right? And I wish I had watched some of the press conferences leading up to the game to hear what Urban Meyer would have had to say about what was coming because I'm sure they saw the film. They they knew that this this team got a monster that don't nobody know about, but you just turn it on ESPN 8 because it's Ohio State and Buffalo, and next thing you know, it's a monster up there. Yep. I think I heard you talking and you talked about um, Shaquille Leonard. Yeah. I wrote a piece on him uh, after his rookie year, and it's not hard to tell because it was <laughs> he he didn't Clemson wasn't interested. And then they played Clemson. And then Dabo was like, hey, buddy, why don't you come on up? <laughs> and he was like, no. Nah. But yeah, you once you put it on tape, <laughs> they gonna find you. It's, it's hard to get lost in the shuffle. And I'm sure there's like I'm sure there are plenty of people who whatever there's some opportunity missed. But by and large, they are scouring. Yeah, <laughs> they I- are looking for something special. Yeah, and like and like Leonard, skill Leonard is interesting in that Dabo call, and he was like, "Nah, I'm good." Which, by the way, sounds very South Carolina. Like the levels that are going on on the in his mind have to be completely different. Because South Carolina, or as I call it, Mississippi East, uh, you know, do things a little different over there. But like Khalil Mack ain't staying at Buffalo Mm-mm. in this era. He's not sticking around there. So what you gonna wind up seeing, I think, is the draft is gonna look just more power five out than it ever did because these guys are so are incentivized to go make this run to the other place. And I'm just like, nah, you're you're going to be fine wherever you are. Like the I agree that there's like the professional, you know, the level of training and coaching and stuff that right. you could get at that next space. But all that stuff always makes me think about like I thought I had an advantage going to graduate school in economics because my undergrad degree was in economics. No sir. Not at all. We was taking on so much new stuff yeah. once we got here that that, no, it, that it helped. <laughs> you know, it <laughs> helped. <little> foundation. <laughs> yeah, but everybody was playing so much catch up that yeah. the difference really was not that much once you had to do it. And that's what I wonder sometimes about the league. Like, like I bet practicing at Alabama is the best part for you, right? Because yeah. it's the iron sharpens iron part. Yeah. And I, I mean, I do think the coaching matters. I would say, like I've told you plenty of times, the best season I had was in Atlanta. It was in part because of the pressure of a contract year. Like, I ain't had no distractions. But it's also because Emmett Thomas was the DB's coach. And he wasn't the DB coach slash defensive coordinator. He wasn't the DB coach. He wasn't the cornerback coach slash safety coach. He's a Hall of Fame cornerback. And you get to a certain level, they don't teach you. My I'm In college, my college coach, DB coach, was also the defensive coordinator. He wasn't worried about technique. He was stressed all week about trying to game plan. <laughs> Then I get to the NFL again. My uh, in Denver, the D back coach became the defensive coordinator in my second year, and Champ was the other corner. Nobody was teaching us technique. Champ was doing Champ, <laughs> and the rest of us was like doing the best we can. Then I got down there with Emmett. I played the best side ever played because he was focused on the technique, and I think that's a difference that you can get in uh, a place like Alabama. You're gonna get them techniques day in and day out, and also there's a statistical component, particularly when you're on offense. There's an interdependence of your success that I don't think matters as much on the if you go to the bigger schools. You cannot put up numbers, but if you ball in in practice, you get a couple big plays and some big games. If you at Alabama, people are going to notice you and you're going to get some looks. You can be at one of these small schools. Your quarterback stinks. The yeah. one time you get to showcase against Clemson, you don't get no balls because you can't protect the quarterback. So it does matter. For some people, there probably are some super athletes out there somewhere who not a lot of them, but there probably are some who didn't it didn't work out for them because of the things surrounding them in that situation. But that ain't never going to happen to Alabama. <laughs> if you if you cook it in practice, you're going to get a, at least a UFA. Somebody going to hit you with that that free agent holler or something. Well, yeah, the UFA part, I think, is more interesting than people uh, give it credit for. Like, being able to pick your spot. Like, there's this dude, Isaiah Land, that people kept referring to for me. And I'm like, yo, man, he got to go sign with the Cowboys, which may be the dream of his life, by the way, right? Like, there's there, there's levels to this, but I think we're going to see, like, in line with this, more and more of the guys that are going to make it are all going to be funneling into kind of the same uh, sorts of schools. Now, I want to jump on something right fast because I did not – I'd heard Emmett Thomas's name forever, but I have no concept of him as a player. I only know of him as coach. Number one, 
there was a run from 1995 through the year 2001 where Emmett Thomas was a defensive coordinator every season and played for black coaches at every spot, I believe. We go from Ray Rhodes. He went with Ray Rhodes with Philly Green Boy Bay, then went to Dennis Green. I see y'all, fellas. I see, I see y'all. I see y'all. Second, Emmett Thomas went to a black college I'd never even heard of. Bishop College. It closed in 1988. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now, he was an undrafted free agent. Where was that? It's in um, Marshall, Texas. This is okay. like, yeah. Where, which, by the way, has another black college. I don't know how in the world that this place in Wiley was ever. It's a lot of terrain to cover. We ain't got that many black people. You know what I'm saying? But, yeah, he was undrafted and then became many-time All-Pro Super Bowl champion. And he made uh, the Hall of Fame. And I would just like to say this again. They'll find you, dog. They'll find, They'll find you, find dog. You. <laughs> they will find you. I, uh, a few years ago, I, um, probably like three or four years ago, I really wanted to write a piece on white cornerbacks. And I called Emmett Thomas. And we talked for a little bit, catching up, catching up. I was like, hey, so I'm working on this piece about white corners. He's like, no, nah, I'm good. I just, just go ahead. And I end up not writing a piece, but Emmett ain't want to say one word. About no white quarterbacks. I don't know why. You wasn't messing up his money. Yeah, I don't know. He wasn't even coaching that time, but I don't know. But I guess he just feel like I don't know. I can't read into it. I was surprised because he's cool as hell. You know, people you talk to and they really the guard is down and like anytime Emmett kept it real with you all the time. I love playing for him. And when I stunk, he's like, Yeah, that was garbage. And what I'm gonna say to him, like my DB coach in Denver, uh, Coach Slowick. He couldn't play no football. So, like, I mean, if, if Champ told me I wasn't doing something, it's different. But Emmett, Emmett still had a couple snaps in them old-ass knees. So, I, I respected him. But he was not trying to talk about that at all. He would tell all types of other stories. But I don't know why. I'm going to call him again, see if he want to tell me why he wouldn't talk about white corners. Hey, man, we got a white corner. Um, Iowa, which, as I have told you guys before, Iowa had more white starters on defense than the entire Southeastern Conference. I'm not exaggerating. Not a joke. joke. (laughs) I went and I counted. They had corners. They had like, I mean, but I don't know. Kirk Ferentz, he gives us reason for skepticism. Is that the safest way for me to put that right now? He (laughs) gives us reason for skepticism. But hey, man, he be turning these white dudes at these somewhat non-white dude positions into something, right? Them tight ends, they just had an edge rusher. That is becoming a less and less white position with every day. They had an edge rusher going the first round, and he got this corner. This man, this man, I don't know his personal motivation, but he found him a market inefficiency. Like, how, Iowa not supposed to be good at football? He done found the fact that the rest of y'all are racist and believe that white boys can't play corner, white boys can't rush the passer, white boys can't run routes, uh, and y'all pass up on them. Kurt Ferentz is like, give me your Riley Mosses. Give them to me, and yes. I'm going to put them on the field because he can play. And- keep, keep your Raheem. <laughs> yeah. I don't need that. <laughs> and Raheem may come into Iowa anyway, <laughs> and, unless something went wrong somewhere along the line. But the whole Riley Moss situation, and just – you and I have had this conversation a bunch of times. There is no reason other than bias that there are white people playing cornerback because it is absurd to imagine that all of all the white people in this country, none of them, none of them can play corner. Like we can't get one, not even a backup in the NFL. But in line with what we have been discussing on this topic for the longest. Okay. They told me on the broadcast, when the draft pick came down, you had Kuyper and you had Lou Riddick. Lou Riddick, a former NFL defensive back. Okay, yep. I believe he played safety. Yep. Mel Kuyper, ready to move uh, Riley Moss to safety. Lou Riddick, <laughs> nope, I think he could play quarter. Now, yeah. look, I don't know Lou Riddick. Maybe he out there like, yes, see if he can, right? Who knows? I don't think that's his outlook. I think he's legitimately like, no, I have watched this gentleman's film. And I believe that he could be a quarter. Do you know who is the current defensive coordinator for the Denver Broncos? It's not Evero anymore. Vance Joseph. Vance. Yeah. Vance Joseph, a a black dude. And for those of you who are new to the program here, because I wouldn't be surprised if somebody tried to make a blog post out of this, right? When Dominique was in the draft in 2005 and was waiting to hear his name called, 
he didn't have no problem with it until he heard whose name. Whose name was it? Dustin Fox. Right. Ohio State legend. He played corner at Ohio State, and he hosts a sports talk show now. Yeah. And not because he's an Ohio State legend in that regard, but like most sports talk show hosts, he is a Caucasian. I'm not saying that's the only reason he got a job, but it works out well when you can overlap the two. You know what yeah. I'm saying? You get a former player and you, oh yeah, we got this, right? <laughs> Dustin Fox said on Twitter once, and I've talked about this, it's come up again, all this. Dustin Fox made the point. He was like, the guys that said I could play corner, he named three. I can't remember one of them, but the other two were Mike Tomlin and Mel Tucker. It's not us telling these white dudes they can't do it. Yeah. It ain't uh, us. The, uh, the last time I told this story, I reached out to Dustin. It was like, my bad, bro. Like, I didn't, I ain't trying to, like, try to clown you just telling my truth. But he wasn't offended at all. And no, he knew. Yeah, y'all go listen to his show. It's a 92-3, The Fan look, in Cleveland. Look, look, look here, look here. He was at them practices at Ohio State. Yeah. He, 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 like, so, look, look, look. It wasn't like he was in the room surrounded by his brethren. That ain't Iowa. Yeah, and so I, yeah, he, he fit it in that room. He understood what it was all about. But I was hot because I'm looking at all these corners going in front of me, and I'm like, I'm better than him. I'm better than him. I'm better than him. Probably not better than these people who went in front of me, but I'm saying it to myself, and I'm really believing it. And then they said Dustin Fox, and I was like, oh, it's a conspiracy. <laughs> what is, I, I, y'all drafted a white corner before me? And he went to Minnesota, and I don't think he played one snap. At corner, they moved that man to safety on the no, flight. They, they they didn't even have to do it. They played him like how he used to lie to black people about getting to play quarterback. And then as soon as they get out there, they're like, "Let me see that pedal, boy. <laughs> Let me see you catch punts." <laughs> Let me see. But this dude, like I said, I didn't know anything about him so much. But I was betting. I, I just sat here and I was like, "Huh? Let me look up and see who the defensive coordinator is." And what do I know? I find the black dude is Vance Joseph. I mean, I don't know much about Riley Moss, but I'm rooting for him. Like, I, I, I hope he succeeds. It's a, a step for racial progress. Yes. I, I, I don't think he got no, uh, well, I'm assuming in Iowa. I should make assumptions. I'm looking forward to get to know this fella. I tell you this, though. It's going to be bad news if you can't play, though, dog. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the trash talk is going to be Woo! out of oh, control. And look, camp. And in camp. In camp. But let me tell you who going to turn on you first. Those fans who struggle oh. far more than you and I do to understand how this Caucasian is playing quarter. Like, again, oh. we can see how it might be. White folk can't seem to fathom the thought. Like, I feel like there's a school somewhere that did not integrate until they were just like, dude, we got to get a corner in here. <laughs> <laughs> we can't make this work. We have tried and we cannot. Because actually, God. this is what I want to look back on. Because I almost feel like me and you maybe need to write this book or do yeah. this documentary or something. Because what year did the white corner completely go away? Because I'm 42 and I got no recollection of the white corner. Yeah, I have no recollection of the white corner either. Like, I think there's a bunch of interesting parallels in the playing the position of cornerback in uh, the experience of a black person in America. So the documentary is going to be fire. We won't delve into all of that just now or the book. I can write and then you can rewrite it better. But I think the, the one thing about Riley, what he's walking into is like, first of all, Riley, not a great name because it makes me think of Riley Cooper. And that's not that's not what you want as a white dude with long hair in the NFL. However, that aside, he is going to be in the same situation as American born white basketball players. Yes. And that he is going to be doubted. And if he messes up, they are going to fry him. But yes. if he is all right, yes, here we on that Reeves train. We <laughs> on, on that Reeves train skyrocket out to the moon. The people going to love him. But this is also interesting about him. That's going to make him different than just about everybody else. Number one, he was a two-star recruit. Nobody Ooh. ever wanted to believe he was a two-star recruit. They're like, we don't look for cornerbacks in Iowa. He a local. You know, they're like, man, we ain't doing that. His other offers were North Dakota State, North Dakota, Northern Illinois, and South Dakota State. Only one of those is FBS. All right? So we got that part with him. But since he went to Iowa, we talk about Dustin Fox and what the DB room was like at Ohio State, and he had to learn to fit in. Riley Moss did not have to do that. <laughs> he played at Iowa. 
unbelievable. Like, I, how Kurt Ferentz maintains this, I don't know. They, Phil, but the thing about it, and again, despite all the things I have to say about him, the boys be good. Yeah, it's the market inefficiency. <laughs> I don't. I think Bill Belichick looks at these things as a market inefficiency. Right. I don't know what the hell Kirk Ferris is over there doing, yeah. right? But even with the market inefficiency, Bill Belichick ain't found one of those yet. He yeah. keeps finding fast, all-pro, punt-returning white dudes. Yep. Dudes they catch 100 passes. He find tall, lanky, fast white dudes. Like, he, he still got them everywhere. Even he... In the whole defensive backfield, they ain't yeah. even had the 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 heady white defensive back. He's a defensive back guy too, Belichick. <laughs> like I would have thought, but maybe that's why he like nah, I, I I can't I can't quite do that. That don't that don't work for me. But but, but yo, I I want to hear the conversations that he and Kirk Ferentz have about this because Kirk Ferentz is his man's. Like they are homies. Kirk Ferentz has done this, and Bill Belichick is still like I don't know. No, no, no. I'm all about fairness, too. But I can't can't see it. They can't got um, Gonzalez well, in the I, draft this year, right? I hadn't seen no pictures of him. Yeah. Like, is he a Gonzalez like Kenny Vaccaro was? Yeah. Like, a, like a Tony Gonzalez? Yeah. <laughs> see, we, we, we brought it back. We got to do it again. Like, <laughs> hey, I feel like Tony Gonzalez, I also feel like it's, it's so obviously black, but we don't really talk about it. Like, it doesn't really come up. Christian Gonzalez. Yes had the inside of his suit with the Colombian flag. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So to to be clear, Christian Gonzalez gotcha. ain't trying to fool nobody. Gotcha. Christian Gonzalez is locked into his Gonzalezness. Okay. He's locked into his Gonzalez, but is it Afro Gonzalez or is it just uh I mean he played cornered, all right? So I mean I'm just hey Riley Moss, right? I'm <laughs> just checking. But Tony Gonzalez got me thinking. You be watching these Modelo commercials where they are putting on for the various Latino heroes, right? All good. Here's my problem. I don't remember if I've talked about this, but it's been burning on me for a while. They have commercials for like the, the lady five, the lady cop who turned into a DJ. They got commercials for the dude who became the celebrity barber. But when it's the black people in the Modelo commercials, it's Tony Gonzalez. <laughs> Tony Gonzalez in the same commercial with Roberto Garza. And they both being called uh, Hispanic football heroes. It's Anderson Pack, maybe the best musician working. And they just like, yo, man, this dude be this dude give you a mean fade. Like, yo, do you not see the double standard that is going on here, Modelo? Like, you are asking us to rise to a completely different standard. So to you, Christian Gonzalez, if you got some Afro in your Colombian, you're going to need to go out there and make four, five Pro Bowls before Modelo come to you about doing a commercial. I'm just saying the level of achievement is not the same across the Modelo commercials. Yeah, there's, there's definitely some Afro in his Colombian. Got you, got you. Trying to think, yeah, because like I say, Kenny Vaccaro, we went to Texas. That was another one of those. I was like, because something nobody talks about. I don't know. I mean, I don't have an answer for this. The complete lack of Mexican football players out of Texas, like high level football players, because it's not like Mexicans in Texas don't play football, but very rarely at high levels. I don't have any explanation for that. It almost makes like Texas football relative to population stats weird because mm-hmm. the Latino population is so high, but com- like not represented at all in high level football play. Do not understand yeah. it. We want to hit this before we get out of here as it's going to tie in line. I'll say this now before I forget hit the voicemail line, eight six zero five one six four one one nine and tell us about that time that you taught yourself out of a job um, inspired by Dylan Brooks, who, I don't know if he talked himself out of a job. I don't think the talking helped him in trying to keep his job. But I feel like, do you watch Snowfall? No. Okay. For my Snowfall watchers, I feel like Dylan Brooks, Isaiah Thomas is the extreme example of this, but it's kind of like Franklin thinking he finally about to get his money and then all of a sudden he's not, right? Dylan Brooks is coming into free agency. You see his clothes. You know he feel himself, right? Like, he out here, we winning. I'm part of this. He be taking all those shots. He act like he famous. He knew he about to get hit money. No. No, you are not. Like, Isaiah Thomas had scored 30 points a game. They had the hip injury. Like, that was really, really tragic that he never got his money. But I think Dylan Brooks had talked himself into thinking that big payday 
was on the way. And Dylan Brooks was talking trash to other teams. Isaiah Thomas was talking trash to his own team. Yes. Remember when he said they gonna I'm gonna make them back up the Brinks yes. truck to yes. my front door? Yes. <laughs> they rolled that truck up over his foot, put that thing back in drive, and skirt, skirt it off again. Man. That sucks. But yeah, I, I I have sympathy for Dylan Brooks only because how much I enjoyed his nonsense. Like it was fun nonsense. It added to my enjoyment of the playoffs this year. I would like. Um, him to have a job and him to have the confidence to keep saying wild stuff. So I, he ain't going to talk no more. That's for damn sure. He's going to be quiet. I'm going to say here what I said on Twitter. Look, man, all that confidence can get you to the league, but self-awareness gets you a career. And what's going to ultimately be the thing that does him in is him having all these quotes about how he could do more on offense than the Grizzlies allowed him to show. That is a red flag right mm-hmm. there. You need to be, I'm just going to do whatever it takes to make this team better. Nope. Like I saw somebody make a comparison to Tony Allen and that Tony Allen leaned into the idea that he wasn't an offensive player or like a guy like PJ Tucker or something like that. Uh The thing that's so key about them is they're very similar to Dylan Brooks in the sense that these are guys who were conference players of the year when they were in school. Like a guy like Reggie Evans was like a conference player of the year when he was in school. These are dudes that used to get buckets. Like we talked to Kendrick Perkins about this. You know, he came straight from high school, but he was getting buckets. And then you get to the league and you're not bucket guy no more. And that's okay. You you don't get to touch the ball no more. <laughs> you got to play your role, which is Look, fine. Let me tell you, man, a defining moment of my life. I was in high school. I was on the, as a freshman, I was on the B team in basketball, right? And important detail to keep in mind about me is I'm so much younger than my peers. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was always going to be that, right? Like yeah. everybody's a head taller than me, all of this. But the thing about the B team is, Everybody, I, I didn't figure this part out, but it's a bunch of cats that know they ain't never making no varsity. They not trying to impress. They mm-hmm. not trying to improve. They trying to put up shots. That's what it is. And so the coach came in after one game and he gave us a lecture and he said, hey guys, he's a burly white dude from Colorado. He's like, hey, I started on varsity as a sophomore at a 5A high school. And in Texas, the idea of a 5A mm-hmm. high school is just like, we're like, really? And he said, you know why? Because I did what the coach told me. And the coach told me, you are not allowed to shoot. And he said that he would get the ball right next to the goal, wide open, but he could not shoot. Now, of course, this tells you a lot about this man. He had to remind us. I mean, no big deal. I was an All-State football player. Why are you? Why, why did you do that? Why did you? Why did you say that? That was completely. I feel him, man. I feel him. Y'all, yeah, I, I, y'all not gonna sit here laughing me not getting no shots up. No, we weren't even laughing at him. We were the B team, right? <laughs> but his whole thing was just like, hey, man, some things just ain't your job, right? right. Everybody's out here because you want to shoot, and not everybody gets to shoot. And I remembered that forever. He was just like, hey, man, this wasn't what I was brought here to do. And the NBA is full of dudes who come to realize, oh, I don't really get to do that. And, and and either they realize that or they out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like um I'm with you. Like I I agree with everything you're saying about Dylan Brooks. If he was my friend, my cousin, my brother, my dog, I'd have had to talk with him a long time ago. But he's none of that to me. So I miss him. I want him talking <laughs> all this crazy talk because it makes me smile and laugh. Let me tell you, he got China written all over him. You yeah. see them numbers Dwight Howard putting up over there? Like somebody told me he's the second coming of Marbury. I'm like, no, nah, because Marbury was just a better basketball player. Marbury yeah. might be a better basketball player than him right now. But he can go live a very similar Marbury-ish life or like all them other dudes like Jimmer over there scores 70 points a game. Like if you want to be in the NBA, be in the NBA. I'm not saying there ain't no place for him in the NBA, but yeah. it sounds like for what he wants to be in his heart, he need to go get that passport. Them quotes that you're talking about, that that's rings true. I think I told you this before. Um, they went and got after uh Darren, my teammate, got mm-hmm. killed. They they went and got Dre Bly. And they went and signed Dre Bly in, brought him in. And then training camp's going well, and I'm playing well. And one of the reporters came up to me and was like, How many teams in the NFL do you think you could start for? I said 32. Got traded not too long after. <laughs> <laughs> you know you can't you play your role like uh, the year before they had me playing safety and uh in some corner and some nickel it's like my my rookie i played a lot and so they're like we got to get you on the field so find ways to get on the field 
none of that stuff really stuck. They went and got Dre, and then I ran my mouth just a little too much. <laughs> well, it I worked out for me. I didn't even know Dre was still in the league at that point. Yeah, yeah, he was. I'm old, man. That was 2006. No, but he was, old. But he old. Yeah, that was 06, 07, something like that. Yeah, because Dre hit the league in 99. And it was an up and down tenure. I feel like his uh his run through. So that's why I wasn't sure if he was still, cause, you know, because corners y'all got a shorter lifespan than people like really give it credit for being. He was. I mean, I think he made a couple of Pro Bowls. Like he was a a big like a risk taker, yes. and he wasn't and he wasn't all that fast. So uh, he would jump on stuff, and if he had one of them years, he might get yep. a few picks. Yep. And they might have one of them years where somebody get behind him and yeah. catching him. Yeah, there was a t- now. I talked to Dre like. Six months ago, he's a good dude. Oh, I know. I mean, he's a he's a bit of a polarizing figure in Chapel Hill these days. Oh, really? Well, I mean, you know, because he just had to leave. Like, he was able to get to players, but they was all getting lit up. Like, it sounds like it was a bunch of dudes playing like Dre Bly, right? <laughs> like, it sounds like um, they had whatever talk they had with Trayvon Diggs that landed was a talk they tried to have with Dre Bly that did not. Yeah. I don't blame him, man. It worked for him. He was first round pick. <laughs> got him a couple contracts. It's hard to argue with the results. Look, man, they put his name. They had to retire his jersey or give him the honor at Carolina while he was playing. Because they put you in the ring if you make first team All-America. And he did that as a freshman. I remember. Yeah. It's a little awkward. <laughs> <laughs> then he got to come back for two more years. No, no, no. He came back for one more year. He was a redshirt freshman, as I oh, recall. Yeah. And, 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 yeah, I think Mac had left, too. Oh, then Mac brought him back, and then Mac apparently had to tell him, like, yeah, no, nah, this is not. this." But he was the, because he, he's a Tidewater dude, as I recall. Mm-hmm. And that's where Mac, when Mac did his work at Carolina, is because the Tidewater doesn't belong to anybody. Like, yeah. geographically, it's not really close to any of the schools that matter. And so that was one of them dudes. Carolina had a run of them Tidewater dudes. And, buddy, it came with all the goods and bads that you would expect. <laughs> oh, man. I love Dre, man. We have to play the music sometime. <laughs> oh, all I, get together. He's a good dude. Man. Oh, Carolina had another DB during your tenure, though. I guess it was just, yeah, during your tenure, that would be very memorable. Todd Waters old. A gentleman by the name of Dexter Reed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's a play the music all star right yeah, there. Yeah, yep. I, yeah, uh, I, yeah. That is a play the music all star. Everybody tells me that D Reed's a great dude. Like everybody I know that knows D Reed loves him. They just all have a D Reed story. I don't have one, but I've heard some. I'll give you one after the show. That is Dominique Fosford. Check him out on Get Up. Check him out on Anscape. Check him out on Debatable. And of course, check him out on the Dominique Foxworth Show, available wherever you get your podcast. My man, I appreciate you. All right, now, and ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. Hit the voicemail line, 860-516-4119. Tell us about that time. Either you or you saw somebody taught themselves out of a job. 860-516-4119. Uh, Parker Owens handling everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir remember follow the right time rate us review us give us five stars you only give us four stars i'm inclined to believe you are a hater and we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days take it easy thanks for checking out the right time with bomani jones podcast you can listen or follow on the espn app or wherever you listen to podcasts the right time with bomani jones